Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzen, episode 409. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 409. Our first sponsor spotlight this week is the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. The upcoming regional conference takes place this weekend, Sunday, July 14th, and Monday, July 15th in Maine. It's called In the Thick of It. The gathering features flower farm tours, networking with other growers, and bonus tours of Johnny's Selected Seeds and the Coastal Maine Botanical Gardens. I'll have a link to those details in today's show notes if you want to get in on this opportunity coming up this weekend. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with George Hart of Hart's Garden and Nursery in Missoula, Montana. Listen for my conversation with George in the second portion of this episode. Oh my gosh, Slow Flowers podcast listeners, you are in for a wonderful treat today because my guest is one of my lifelong friends and dearest sisters in all sorts of horticultural, floral, and artistic adventures in this world. It is my deepest privilege to introduce you to artist and designer, writer and editor, and educator, Laureen Edwards Forkner. Laureen is a columnist for the Seattle Times weekly gardening column called Grow, along with her colleague, Colin McCrate of Seattle Urban Farm Company. She is author of five garden books, including The Timber Press Guide to Vegetable Gardening in the Pacific Northwest and Handmade Garden Projects, best-selling titles from Timber. Lorene owned a popular and beloved boutique specialty nursery in Seattle for more than a decade called Fremont Gardens. She has served on the boards of a number of horticultural organizations. She has edited a horticulture journal, and she's the designer of two gold medal display gardens at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, including one that earned Best in Show and People's Choice, I think. Most recently, Lorene's creative life can be found on Instagram, where at Gardener Cook, she is in the second year creating and sharing a series called Seeing Color in the Garden. Lorene started this project on April 3rd, 2018, as part of the hashtag The 100 Day Project. She called it 100 Days of Seeing Color in the Garden. Lorene continued her series through the subsequent months, and this past April of 2019, she kicked off another 100 days of seeing color in the garden, the second part of this series, which concludes today, July 10th. So our timing is perfect to sit down with Lorene and learn more about this visually engaging, spiritually uplifting creative project and the woman behind it. I'm so happy you are joining my chat with this highly intuitive observer of color in nature, in plants, in flowers, and even in the kind of organic objects you might pick up on a walk and drop into your pocket. When she kicked off 100 Days of Seeing Color in the Garden, Lorene wrote this on her blog. And so it begins. The 100-day project is here, and so am I. Well, sort of. These days, life is charged with loss and grief on many levels. But if I'm honest with myself and desperately trying to keep on keeping on, I have to acknowledge that without great love and joy, 
there would be nothing to lose, nothing to grieve. So however hard this pain is a gift, 100 days of seeing color in the garden will be my daily practice starting today. My hope is that this daily interval focused on seeing my beloved garden will provide refuge and a way forward. They say that time heals. I'm curious to watch that unfold. How cool will it be to witness the process playing out in real time? A powerful anchor for future losses. So for 100 days, I will be making time to see and interpret color in my garden. It's basically permission to pause and play. Lorreen continues, this idea had to be something simple, intuitive, and soothing. I'd like to say color is my native tongue, and I'd pretty much lost all other words. It's now nearly 100 days later, and while I'm not counting, I am still painting. Seeing color in the garden has become a daily practice, permission to step away from work, house, garden, even play. When I sit down at my table with my oh-so-humble watercolors, a brush, and blank sheets of watercolor paper, the world goes calm. Occasionally, I get asked how. I don't know how else to describe it, but seeing with all five senses. Things go quiet, time stops, and everything is focused on the blossom, twig, rock, or the occasional snail. My paints are nothing special, but they're familiar to me, and I feel comfortable with the visual vocabulary I've developed with them. For all that this project has played out in public on Instagram, it still feels strange to write about something so intimate and deeply personal, except that, along with my finding a measure of peace— I have also found a community of people who are also in pain, stressed, or simply in need of a little colorful refreshment. A chromal chord has been struck. Lorreen concludes, At the end of the day, the swatches and test strips are my secret sauce, a record of how I hunt and peck and forage for the right color. The paintings themselves, without their subject, are pretty flat and lifeless compared to the energy of painting plus a plant. But these little swatch strips please me to no end. So I'm excited to share my conversation with Lorraine, and I'll share lots of photos of her and her beautiful color studies in today's show notes at DebraPrinzing.com, including links to all of her social places so you can discover and view Lorraine Edwards-Forkner's beautiful daily ritual too. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited and delighted today to introduce my dear friend, Lorene Edwards-Forkner. Lorene is a Seattle-based artist. You may know her from Instagram, at Gardener Cook, and she's got some amazing projects that we're going to talk about today, including her current project, which is called Another 100 Days of Seeing Color in the Garden. So thank you for joining me, Lorene. Thanks, Deborah. We spend a lot of time talking, don't we? <laughs> we've been on road trips and we've been in garden tours and crazy spots in the world and we've never recorded a podcast. So thank you for saying yes today. I'm excited. Yes. Okay. And you're going to learn a lot about Lorene. Just as a quick snapshot, she is the Seattle Times columnist with her colleague, uh, Colin McCrate. Uh He's with Seattle Urban Farm Company and they uh, produce a weekly column for the Seattle Times called Grow. And you can find that online. I'll share a link for people. Lorena is also the editor of five gardening books, many with the timber with Timber Press. And uh, you can find her online at ahandmadegarden.com, which is also was sort of tied to one of your book titles, right? Right. So okay. one of the books was a project book called Handmade Garden Style. Yes. Boy, I remember that so yeah. well. <laughs> so much project making. So if you have followed a at Gardener Cook on Instagram, you have seen this amazing practice and this amazing series that Lorraine has done for over two years of uh, interpreting the color she sees in her garden. Um, but it's it's gone far beyond what you originally intended, hasn't it? Right, right. <laughs> Give so, us a snapshot. So I have... Um... In 2018, the 100 Day Project was coming up, and that is an online collective where anybody can do a creative practice and commit to doing it every day and sharing it, um, and it all goes under you know the umbrella of the 100 Day Project. And so, like hashtag 100. Hashtag the 100 Day Project. Okay. Um, 
And I had done it uh, two years previous. And in 1918, I was committed to doing it again because I love having that daily practice. But it was at a time where my father had just died and there were there was just a lot of tumult in my mm-hmm. life. And 2018. 2018, yeah. yes. And, um, and I, I knew I had to have very narrow expectations. This was not going to be a big epic um, practice. So it was rather at the last minute in early April, um, I decided that I would pick a piece of the garden and capture the colors that I saw in sort of swatches of watercolor. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not botanical illustration. I only chose watercolor because I had a set of kids watercolors. Really? In my studio, yeah. They weren't even grown-up watercolors? No, they weren't even grown-up watercolors at that time. <laughs> and and it was so simple. It was just like, just do this and do it every day and don't stop mm-hmm. uh, for 100 days. Mm-hmm. And I really ended up finding a tremendous amount of comfort and peace in the process. Mm. It was so simple. It was so easy to meet those expectations at a time in my life when I was trying to help my mom with her, you know, grief and my own grief and my family and and all. So it it wow. was my still point of color and quiet. So do you remember the first one that you did? Mm-hmm. What was it? It was a uh, Viburnum bonadense dawn. Mm. So in early April, it's right at the end of its um, flowers all winter long, and it's this really kind of shell pink and um, soft colors. Um, I remember it because at the end of that 100-day project in 2018, I just kept going. So I remember... Um, towards November of that year when the viburnum started blooming again. It's like, oh, look, here, you know, there's a chime in this. The cycles are repeating, and that's comforting, and, you know, time moves on, we heal. Um, and then this year, 2019, when the 100-day project started up again, at the beginning of April, I decided to do another 100 days of seeing color in the garden, and my first uh, painting for this year's project was again the Viburnum Bonantense. Mm. And so your piece of paper is like how big is it? Four inches by four inches. Okay. Perfect for a little Instagram thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also perfect for like containing yep. all the chaos in your life. Like, okay, yep. it can happen here. And I can control four square inches. Some days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that what struck me so much when I saw that, because you, you photograph them, you do the, the color study, and then you lay the actual flower or leaf on top of it, the painting. Right. And then you photograph it. Mm-hmm. What, what I think so many people respond to that I've spoken with, and I show you off to people all the time, because talk Thanks. about a wonderful yeah. grid, girl. You got <laughs> it. Um, it's like, okay, but Viburnum bonendens is a pink flower. How do you not just paint nine squares of pink? Like you're seeing these layers and depths of color and in all the plant parts. And and mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there were more there were multiple shades of pink, but there was probably also green and brown of some right, color, right, right. Okay. So it's it's a matter. I mean, I honestly I call it just concentration. Mm. Um, you know, to see with all five senses. I mean, it's absolutely quiet. I can't even have anybody looking at me. Um, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's like, stop looking at me. You know, I really focused. And and I also, um, you know, people have asked a lot about my process. And it's like, I don't just paint my nine squares and hit it right the first time. Okay. There's a lot of hunting and pecking and mixing on my palette and then testing out swatches on these uh, little two by four inch pieces. I've the rules, I'm very strict with my rules. I can do anything within them, but the pieces of paper are always four by four or two by four. Um, so the practice, uh, like little, just little brush swatch. strokes mm-hmm. are on the, right. the smaller one. And I, I hold it up to the mm. plant. It's mm. like, oh, nope, it's a little more peachy than that. And then I go mix some more and test and test and test. It's, so it's this back and forth, very iterative thing. It's mm-hmm. it's happening in real time. And, and it's... It, 
dorky as it sounds, I get really excited when I get the color right. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure because you're probably, well, you mentioned about concentration, but I feel like it's also major observation. Like you, right. you must be it's practice. every time you see a plant, you start deconstructing its color in mm-hmm. your mind and you're thinking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you have a small garden. It's not like you have an arboretum to Oh, no, with. I have a teeny, teeny, tiny garden and I'm only painting a tiny little piece of it at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a year-round practice, um, so I, you know, I pick weeds when I'm on a walk. I've been to the beach and done seashells or rocks. Um, there, there really is, you know, there's. I'm never lacking for something to paint. Uh, so you come up with when you get excited when you come up with your perfect palette. There are there always nine squares. Sometimes you have maybe Mm-mm. like six or something like that. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and there's only been once when I just failed so epically that I cut it out. So that one only had eight squares, and there was a missing hole in the paper. <laughs> it's like the it's like the bad square in the quilt yeah, or something. Bad, yeah, go away. Um, and and I guess what I love is that you then take a photo and then post it on Instagram with a, and you're numbering them like a series. Uh, right, so it'll be like eleven slash. I did that in the first year. Okay, um, I'm not doing it the second year. Honestly, I love the parts between the hundred day project when I don't have to keep track of it. It's like I just do it. <laughs> That's true because it, the hundred day project starts in April. It goes to like July. July, mm-hmm. and then, but you're saying you just kept going. Right. From July of 2018 to April of 2019 with a little bit looser rule, set of rules. The only rule that I stopped was counting. Okay. Um, and full disclosure, Deborah Prinzing did try to do her own version of this with Lorene Edwards Forkner because Lorene is my muse in so many ways. I'm like, I'll do it too. And I got through like 52 days or something. But you last were, year. here's what's great because you were doing words, yes. the language. And, and, and to me, that's almost, I mean, that's more demanding because you that's, have to create something. That's why I'm I ran just, out of steam. I'm just doing it. Um, well, but I, I would encourage anyone to look at all sorts of things that people are doing in 100 Day Project. Absolutely. The 100-day project. So fascinating. Um, I love that you kind of put your own spin on it, and now it's got this bigger um, impact. And I just, just want to tell people one of the things that I love the most about what you do, Lorene, is, yes, you've done the color study. You, you've, you've selected you know, the, the flower or the leaf or the rock, and then you... Posted and you write something that is so much of a meditation. It's you have maybe you have a quote from literature or poetry, maybe you bear your soul, maybe you are a little a little like sassy with a wink. I mean, there's <laughs> it, your personality is really revealed in what you write in the caption. I guess you'd call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was one of my goals. So the the practice is daily, and you know, and I'm posting daily. I tend to paint in batches, so I'll sit down and paint for, you know, an hour or something and do three or four different studies. Mm. Um, but then, so the, the captions or the observation or whatever, that is very much the daily aspect of mm. it because it's posting and then bringing to it what I'm feeling that day, mm. which sometimes they just say without words <laughs> <laughs> which i think people respond to as well because right. we're all because we get there we... Yeah. and there's there's also tr- you do anything every single day and you are going to have moments of resistance mm. um and you know there are times that it just feels the most tedious boring uninspired mm. self-indulgent it's like really you're going to make time to go paint your watercolor squares when all this like yeah, when Chaos real life. life is is demanding so much, um, and then on the other hand, you know, it's like just do it, just do it because it's it's a daily practice. So that's you know, and if it doesn't turn out right today, well, you've got tomorrow. And and I really have appreciated from the other side of those kind of slumps um, to see, yeah, you just push through. You mm. just and it comes back. It, mm. You know the the thrill or the excitement or just. Mm-hmm. The quiet and peace mm-hmm. comes back. Um, it, it's so it's so seasonal, and I think you know when you alluded to what you're doing in the winter, maybe the palette is yeah. It's really fun to watch different right? it change, right? Because the the nature of the light changes. Um, 
And so that impacts, you know, how you see the colors. So mm-hmm. I look forward to it. I'm always chuckling, like, I wonder what she's going to throw at us today. And and sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that's blooming in my garden, too. That makes sense. And other times I'm like, girl, where did you find yeah. that little, <laughs> like, dead leaf? <laughs> right. Well, you, it, it has made me um, very, very observant throughout the other 23 hours and 45 minutes a day mm-hmm. that I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and you know, and I, I do. I look for something. It's like, oh, I want to paint that. Or mm. I, I'm pretty good about not picking other people's flowers. Yes, you're well-behaved in that regard. Um, <laughs> because you have enough to draw from in your own in your own garden. Um, you're, you mentioned that a couple years ago you did... Uh, participate in 100 Day mm-hmm. Project, and that is actually posted on your website, and that is about seeing color in the garden. But it was more less like you posted a photo of. No, the first one that I did was in 2016, 16, 17, 18, 19. Oh, that's yes. right. It 16, was... and it was called My Roy G. Biv World. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. I, you know, how we learned the colors of the rainbow, because color is always what I'm talking about. Right. Um, and so that project was, um, again, very simple uh, rules that you just follow along in your own footsteps. I would post a picture of something red, something orange, something, you know, every day was a different color. Oh, wait, there's seven colors. Seven. So you so just get to I would week. just, I would just, yeah, every week, and then I would just cycle back through. Um, and that was super fun. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it was fun to look at. Um, you know, I think people who are posting about a single topic or something on Instagram, you always want to look at the grid and see what it's doing because that's another layer to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a rhythm to that. Right, well. right. Yeah. So way more so on uh, my Broy G. Briff world uh, because you saw that that rainbow repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you do that for 100 days? No, 100 day, uh, the scene, yes. Okay. Roy G. Biv was part of my that. first 100-day project. Okay. Well, I asked you about that because I wanted to dig, dig, go a little bit further back and ask you about your life as an artist. Um, we, Lorene and I met in college <laughs> at, a long time ago. We won't tell back you. when the earth was cooling. <laughs> <laughs> and you were a fine art major, and weren't you? Mm-hmm. And I was a clothing and textiles major, and I don't think we would have ever met except we have, had one art class together, yeah. I think. And we weren't. We weren't best buddies or anything, but we reunited in the gardening world like 20 years later. Yeah. Thank God. Yes. Um, And you were at the time uh, standing in the Washington Arboretum um, display garden at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show where you had just won a gold medal. And I was like, hey, I know you. And that was sort of, I don't know when that was, early 2000 maybe or late 90s? I think that was 2001. Okay. Wow. And since then, you have um, designed and produced a second gold medal award-winning Best in Show Garden at the <laughs> Northwest Farm Garden Show for your former nursery, right. um, Fremont Gardens. So the garden really was your medium uh, as an artist for many years, right? Yes, yeah. And I would say um, pretty early on, I knew that I wasn't going to be a studio artist, which, of course, is what I blithely thought I was going to be in college. Um, and... And, you know, I worked in other areas. I had kids. And, you know, I always used to joke that my son drove me to horticulture because (laughs) he was such an active child. I was just outside all the time. It's like, great, don't fall off the planet. So just... Might as well do something while I'm out here. (laughs) Yeah, might as well do something while I'm out here. And then I fell in love with um, gardening. Mm -hmm. And, And then that became sort of all of the form and and texture and color and all of those principles from art school I could apply to a three-dimensional environment and you know one that also played out in time and space so it was far more like a, a performance or a dance or choreography right it's not static right yeah well and you've had you've, you've integrated your love of horticulture and plants and your amazing talent as an artist in too many projects I remember when you had Fremont Gardens Nursery and you produced like the grooviest newsletter and it went out to your customers maybe once a month and yeah, I, think it was I was like, God, this girl's a writer too. And that's when you really, we kind of started <laughs> right. having that connection in right. know, many lives, right. past of our lives. You know, when you, back then, 
I think there was an internet, but it was pretty young. <laughs> this was all total old school post office bulk mail. Yes, um, printed, printed, yeah, postage. Um, That's cool. But it was it was fun to find that voice as well. Well, I bring that up because um, now that many of your projects do combine your writing and your. Um, art and your horticulture knowledge and that's led to book doing books mm-hmm. um, and now your column with the Seattle Times and now this amazing uh, handmade garden project and I'm just I love that you know for for me I always didn't see myself as a creative individual I was someone who was a writer who, <laughs> you know who would write about creative individuals and I sort of feel like you had to put your like artist uh you know, label on hold for a while oh, yeah. while you were raising it, it kids. Felt, it felt that way. Um, but I think, I think I did that to myself. That was a box I put myself in and that it absolutely didn't have to happen. No. Um, that you can bring your eye, your awareness, your appreciation um, to everything every day. Well, I feel like you're doing that now to help others. And um, I saw you brought a piece uh, that you wrote with you that you used for a workshop you taught. Would you read it to us? Sure. Uh, let's see. It says, seeing color in the garden. Color is both a gratuitous gift and one of nature's most sophisticated tools engineered to capture the attention of all living creatures. Um, this is a workshop that I gave recently where I, I characterized it as cultivating awareness of nuanced color in the garden. Um, I talked about how I began the project and how just what the practice of it on a daily basis has done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the project, which began as a daily meditative practice, has grown into a lively community community of people learning to slow down and make time to really see. Um, it's it's definitely not botanical illustration. Mm. I, at one point, thought that I would have these wonderful little 4x4 four four artifacts of these watercolors. Um, I think ever the, you know, that studio artist hasn't died in me. It's like, wow, I'm going to have 100 paintings. Let's frame them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fact, they look totally dead, you know, without... The botanical on them, they just, all life goes out so of them. So that dimensionality is what you need. Yeah, yeah. It's like they are what that photograph is, which is, you know, just snapped with my phone in my office. It's, it's You know, it's it's not. The artifact um, is the photograph, then. The artifact is the photograph. Okay, okay. Um, I have since, uh, again, very obsessively, cut up all of the paintings. So now I'm at about... 460 days so I have 460 of these things and they each have you know between three to nine squares on them and I'm cutting out all those individual colors and sorting them by category reds yellows oranges um and my plan is to do something uh, that I will call a landscape painting, mm. even though it will be just this abstracted color, because mm. every single one of those squares represents a color in the landscape that oh. I saw. Oh my god, that gives me so. the shivers. Are yeah, you... well, so far I just like cutting them out. <laughs> You're such a precise and detailed artist. And when I, <laughs> I mean, the things that you've made me are just precious, and they all require intense detail, like hand stitching or making hand painting uh geranium leaves for a paper plant you you just it's i think it's because everything else is so messy in my life (laughs) i I have to get really controlling on something well you talked about teaching this workshop you you had two sold out workshops for the northwest horticultural society which was sort of cool to do to do it at a botanical garden Mm -hmm. um i said i don't even know were people choosing uh to plants in the garden or do they bring their own uh actually the botanical garden i think they pictured us like plundering the landscape Oops. so they said no no you have to bring your own flowers okay uh so the coordinator of the workshop went to the pike place market and got these two giant bouquets from the farmers and you know all we really needed was little tiny pieces sprigs like, yeah exactly we could easily have plucked that um, in fact, I would love to do, I have this fantasy of having a residency in um, a botanic garden where I would 
document a, a week in right. in everything that's growing. And they would let you clip a few sprigs. Yes, yes. Think of it as deadheading. <laughs> no one would notice. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so that that makes me want to ask you how this practice could benefit not just gardeners, but floral designers. I feel like it's just completely corollary, you know, parallel. It is, it is, you know, I talk about it as, you know, a sophisticated tool of nature. I mean, Mm. those colors that are out in the world are there for a reason, Mm. to attract pollinators or to signal ripened fruit, to, you know, it's it's all deliberate. It's, Mm. you know, grand scheme. And yet, on a personal level, it becomes ornament and joy and delight. I mean, mm-hmm. we love color. We decorate ourselves, our worlds, our environments with color. The outside of the building that we're sitting in right now has this glorious, colorful mural that is an incredible asset to this industrial neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, color is power. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think... Anytime people can bring their attention to it, you can start to recognize, you know, what color do you like? You know, what's your favorite color? Mm-hmm. Classic line of all time. Um, but knowing that means that we can introduce that joy that we get from that color or a color or all colors into our lives. Um, as from a floral perspective, I think picking up and echoing and kind of weaving threads of a of a dominant color through a bouquet or through an event is is helps it hang together mm-hmm. that it's going to resonate on a more emotional level that that just feels right. Um, you can also use it to clash. You can do something super edgy if mm-hmm. you just you know pick out get out your color wheel or whatever and you know red and green. Right. It's like red and green almost vibrate when you put them together. Um, because they are opposite colors on the color wheel, and yet um, that is one of the most common combinations in nature, which is really more of a hot pink and green. Right. And it's because that high contrast makes those ripening fruits more available to birds and bugs to eat, and you know it's that high relief. That's why nature puts red and green together. Isn't that interesting? And we just thought it was the color wheel. Yeah, thing. yeah. It was somebody who came, you know, probably Charles Inton came up with the color <laughs> wheel. And... Um, I think that that also what I see so often when I look at, I check to see what you've posted in a day and you'll post something. Like, for example, we're looking at this anemone that you posted mm. and there's everything from pale yellow to many shades of green to pale to dark lavender and I don't know what this is. This is like an iridescent, like combo color. Um, you're pulling from the stem. You're pulling from the calyx. Right. You're pulling from the throat. You're, and I think from a designer, designer's point of view, if if you start, and I know many designers do notice mm-hmm. these depths of of color, uh, that that does allow you to maybe put two previously, you know, considered unrelated blooms together because mm-hmm. then you start seeing those nuances. So. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I've had a great time when people will leave comments on my Instagram feed saying, oh, I, you know, I want those colors in my home. I, that would be great in, you know, pillows or a rug in those colors mm. or surrounding myself with, you know, painting a room or something. So I love, um, mm. you know, how people, because certainly they're not all gardeners. Right, um, right. But they're drawn to designers, color. right? It's the same thing. They're letting themselves respond to it. And what did you say? Someone just asked you about with eyeshadow. Eyeshadow. <laughs> that apparently, um, I think it was an Erigeron Glaucus from a couple of days ago, a Seaside Daisy, and it's very soft lavenders and peaches and kind of a real cool blue lilac. And they're like eyeshadow. It's like oh. Of course it is. You're like, could Maybelline please hire me and pay me lots of money to come up with the eyeshadow palette? Wow. And you said that um, when this airs, which will be on the 10th of July, it's a significant date for this series. That day will be the end of this year's 100-day project. That will be day 100. Wow. Um, which is 
I love it because not only did I complete another 100-day project, but I can stop counting. I just hate <laughs> counting, keeping track of counting. It's like life's a little too fraught to keep track of. Right. Is this 86 or 87? Or yeah, Right. Well, and luckily, in a way, that it, Instagram, your Instagram feed becomes your journal then. It is. Right? It is. And I Right. It is. Um, and there have been... You know, this all plays out in real time. So there have been some pretty, you know, in the last nearly 500 days that I've been doing this, there have been some pretty significant events in our country's life, politically, um, humanity, my personal family life. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be that person. I'm going mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that to this process. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, we, there's so much talk about authenticity and transparency and truth and this is this is allowing you to speak the truth about whatever it is you're experiencing um i can't help but want to ask you what is next that's often how i end the podcast i know you're (laughs) cooking up a few things and i have a big announcement that i'm going to wrap up with but but tell us where you think this project is going to go for you i know you've been approached by a lot of people who want posters and want calendars and like you know they want right. they want to own these artifacts yeah yeah which is which is lovely um and i i would like to look into what it takes to make you know whether it be cards or prints or yeah you know, prints so. not posters sorry <laughs> I didn't mean to downgrade it. I think in watercolor, you know, wallpaper, right? Right. um, Why not? Yeah. So that whole licensing or branding or thing. I I am working on a book project, um, which the biggest uh, stumbling block in my head was I very much don't think of this as a garden book. Mm. Um, I think of it as a mindfulness book or meditation book. And then, of course, I immediately say, but I'm not the least bit qualified to speak to any of that so you it is life I, think yeah, it, <laughs> I had a mind at one time um so i'm i'm working on that um and and so that's like my next layer mm. of it is is i know how it lives out online mm-hmm. and and that um that dailiness aspect of it i don't know so maybe a page you know one of those calendars like the old page day you know it's like how do you get how do you get that surprise how do you get that reveal to be a part of it oh interesting so interesting and and also just kidding about the page day nobody has that (laughs) well it's i see what you're saying like you want to say to people don't jump to the end don't skip ahead 40 days you have to stick even don't even have them opposite each other you're not seeing more than one at a time i you know i don't know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a wonderful uh mental exercise yes yeah. i mean you're in the right in the midst of it so yeah we'll more on that in the future um <laughs> did you grow graduate from those children's watercolors are you using gross yes watercolors? yes well i use a palette of watercolors um that is limited i don't people i've had people ask me it's like do you have just like hundreds of watercolor tubes of watercolors mm-hmm. Because, of course, all serious watercolor people use tubes of watercolors. Oh, and it's oh. like, no, no, I don't. This is all mixing from a limited palette. Um, Which is another great practice, right? Absolutely. That that any given, just exploring what's available within um, the mixing of a limited palette, you can, you know, it's, it's reduced choices, too. Mm. It's like, what can I make with these colors? Mm. So I use uh, Prima watercolor palettes. Um, I think it's... Uh, they're hysterical because they they either number their colors or they call them by the name of a city. So London or Dubai or you know, which doesn't really tell you what the color <laughs> yeah, is. So you're constantly so people, having to note, note people all that. have asked me, well, what is the recipe for that? It's like I have no idea. It's a global tour. <laughs> But those are available at art supply stores. Yeah, and, okay. and I love them because they're very saturated color. Um, Neat. But, and it's, me. you know, they're just tiny little palettes mm. that don't have very many colors in and, them. And those little brush strokes you put on the two-by-four cards, it reveal maybe how much work it takes to get to a certain correct color. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's very much. And I will say that for all that I'm completely uninspired by the four-by-four finished, quote-unquote, paintings, um, they do nothing for me. But my little pile of several, hundreds and hundreds of these two-by-four, these little swatches, 
delight me to no end. It's it's you like you should make them into your business cards. Yeah, I know. Except for they're colored all over them. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Wow. Well, Lorene, I adore you. I adore all that I've learned in life from you. Totally mutual. And uh, we have so many great road trips ahead of us. I know. I know, including the one that's not happening tomorrow. Yeah, I, I won't tell it. you how bitter I am about that. Um, but we may have a road trip to Santa Cruz, and Lorene has agreed to be one of our featured presenters and instructors at the 2020 Slow Flower Summit, which gives me so much joy because we, we have a lot of planning to do, and you're going to um, develop something that everyone will get to participate in, right. in seeing color intentionally in whatever the flowers we end up designing with at the uh, Slow Flower Summit, which is going to be... June 29th and 30th, 2020. So put that on your calendar and you'll get to meet this wonderful woman and um, learn from her. And uh, that is that is something that is kind of not, you don't normally see a project, uh, um, a course or a session like this mm-hmm. at a floral conference. So I'm that's why I'm super excited that you said yes when I asked. I can't you. wait to find out what it's going to be like. <laughs> it's a wonderful idea. We just have to flesh it out. Yes, we do. But we're, this is the teaser so people can follow you all year and then come up to you uh, next summer and be like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. I've watched your feed. I followed it. And you've ins- I know you'll hear stories about how you've inspired people because you hear I them I love the stories. I love when people say, you know, is it, would you mind if I did this? It's like, please, everybody play along. A woman sent me um, a shot of her son. You know, summer's out, school's out, summer, people are, moms are trying to figure out what to do with their kids. And he was matching colors, and he just absolutely nailed a bachelor button mm. blue. Mm. And blues are hard. Mm-hmm. So I just, I love that. It's oh, like, that's wonderful. Yeah, I it, love that. It was really, really exciting. I love that you're, you're in, not being like selfish about this. You're being generous about that. I totally want everyone, you know, even when teaching this workshop last week, there was one point where a woman that I consider a very good designer was working with it. And I heard this little gasp. She goes, I'm strangely excited by matching that. (laughs) It's a small victory. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, and it's okay. It can be small, but we can, you know, we can, Uh, those those small, but mighty. Small, but mighty. That's maybe that's what your, your tagline should be. (laughs) Lorraine, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you, I didn't bring up and ask you that you want to um, that you want to make sure that we tell people? Good. Well, we're going to share links to all of your places on the World Wide Web and um, how people can follow you and subscribe to your newsletter or whatever. I don't know. You have one. We'll, <laughs> we'll make sure you can get in touch with her. And uh, thank you again. This is delightful. And the fact that we're going to air this on your second 100th day um, yeah. completion is sort of Yay, no more numbering. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Deb. Thank you so much for joining me today as I indulge in an entirely inspiring conversation with a dear and personal friend. As Lorene Edwards Forkner and I discussed, she has agreed to come to the fourth annual Slow Flowers Summit, which takes place June 29th and 30th, 2020, in Santa Cruz, California. In fact, Lorene is the first featured presenter we're announcing for 2020. I'll have much more to share about her presentation at the summit and about what you can expect to experience as the planning evolves. For now, I urge you to find a set of watercolors and begin to emulate the daily or even weekly practice of looking at flowers, petals, pods, leaves, bark, and other minute details from your own environment in a new way to let the color palette of nature speak to all of your senses. Our second sponsor spotlight focuses on Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the very best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms, large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. And check out my past articles featuring the wisdom and voices of numerous flower farmers. You can find the links at deborahprinzing.com in today's show notes. Now, let's visit Montana 
and meet flower farmer George Hart of Hart's Garden and Nursery based in Missoula, our next installation in the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. I met George and Marsha Hart in September 2017 when they hosted a lovely gathering for Slow Flowers members in Western Montana. What a fabulous experience getting to see where they live and farm, seeing their flowers, and connecting with an incredible community of growers and floral designers who are bringing local flowers to Missoula and beyond. Hart's Garden and Nursery grows tulips, irises, peonies, delphinium, dahlias, chrysanthemums, liatris, rudbeckia, zinnias, hellebores, lilies, and many more flowers, including several kinds of decorative grasses. The Hart's mission is to offer attractive, locally grown flowers and bouquets to residents and businesses of Missoula and Western Montana. They offer several locally grown varieties of lily bulbs for sale at area farmers markets, as well as perennials well suited to Western Montana gardens. I'm so pleased that George agreed to jump on the line with me this week to talk about what's happening in this community, as well as to give you a preview of an event on September 27th when I'll return to Hart's Garden, and you're invited. Check out photos, links, and details in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Let's learn more. Well, today I'm so excited to visit Montana. This is part of our 50 states of slow flowers, and this week we're visiting Missoula, Montana, and I'm so excited to introduce George Hart of Hart Garden and Nursery in Missoula, Montana, which he owns with his wife, Marsha. Hi, George. Hello there, Deborah. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to talk with you again. I visited two years ago, and we had a one slow flowers gathering on a beautiful late summer, early fall evening, as I recall. Um, it was fabulous to see your property. It was a very fine evening. Uh, a lot of folks, uh, a lot of flower growers there and farmers. And uh, so we had a nice uh, dinner and uh, good talks. It was fun. Well, we had Ralph Thurston and Jerry Ann Saban come up to join us from Vineweed uh, Farm in uh, Blackfoot, Idaho. So it was, a, it was super regional. It was very nice. It was. It just was more that everybody um, everybody wanted to see and kind of get together. There was a lot of after the get gathering uh, conversations about uh, you know how we can get together and and I can't really say that we've done much, but this is a you know coming up in September is a kind of a follow up, and so we will have uh, the uh, Montana Florist Association and. Uh, as many of the local farmer, flower farmers that I can gather, and we'll all be together on that Friday night. Oh, good. Well, we'll talk about that. That's kind of what reconnected us with uh, your second invitation to visit. Um, but before we get to that, George, give everyone a snapshot of Hearts Garden and Nursery and where you are in the state. I know Missoula, obviously, is the area, but how does that fall in terms of geographic uh, marketplace for you? Well, we're a little south and west of Missoula in a vicinity called Target Range, and uh, Missoula is our primary market. We sell to the florists uh, a few weddings. Uh, we went to one uh, farmer's market this year uh, because we had uh, like 1,500 peonies that we wanted to get rid of, and we were quite 1,500, wow, and we were great. successful at that, and uh, so um, it's... It's just a, uh, uh, we're just one flower farm out here. There are, there are several in our vicinity. And uh, I think that growing flowers in Montana is uh, is recognized or starting to get recognized as a uh, legitimate capitalistic uh, out, outlay. <laughs> uh, how old is your farm or your production facility or property? I think the first time we sold something, Hearts Garden, and I think the first time we sold something was in 2006. So we've been doing this now for 13 years, 14 years was when we first planted. And we started out, we were more uh, inclined to plant lilies because, I mean, they're pretty and uh, and folks like them. But what, I, what we found out at our first year's market was that folks don't like lilies nearly as much as we do. And uh, so we sold some. I mean, there was it was a pretty good market for selling bulbs and things like that. And uh, but that has tailed off over the years because I think most of the folks who like lilies have already acquired what they wanted, and uh, 
they planted up what they needed, and uh, that that's kind of the end of it. Lilies also don't hold it quite as well as peonies, so now we're more focused on peonies. Uh, we had had like 30,000 lilies in the ground, and now we have like 1,000 uh, peony roots in the ground, uh, generally taking the same area that the lilies were. And are those, since I've gotten to visit your property uh, and your business, uh, I have, I'm picturing the combination of the field crop and the greenhouse crop. Can you describe the balance of that? I can't quite remember how many well, the greenhouse crops, uh, it's a year-round heated greenhouse, uh, geothermal and, and so forth. But the greenhouse crops basically ensure that we have some flowers available at all times. Uh, we had a customer come by today and just wanted $20 worth of flowers, and so she got them. You know, They were in the greenhouse for, the, all, for most of them. Uh, but the um, outdoor crops that we have um, in the high tunnel, they pretty much ensure that we have seasonal crops and uh, it's, I mean, it, it allows us to grow a, a wide number and variety of flowers. For example, uh, gosh, I don't know, we probably have, I don't know, 300, 400 dahlias planted and, uh, you know, they're in the greenhouse, they're already there, they're already blooming, but in the fields, they're, uh, you know, they're coming along, but they're not there yet. So that kind of gives you a chance to have almost staggered production or staggered harvest for some of your crops. Uh, yeah, the harvest is pretty staggered, and it, the the way we're selling now, which is to uh, local buyers, uh, stores, and and floral shops, and so forth, um, it, we're only cutting what we need, and or only cutting what is sold, excuse me, and so with that being the case, uh, we're actually not working quite as hard, which is nice because we're elderly and uh, infirm. <laughs> At least you're elderly in, in like on the days that you worked 14 hours straight. Yeah, yeah, it, it, can, it can wear us out. But uh, because we're only cutting what we have sold, um, we're working less and making the same or more money. And uh, so it's working out pretty well that way. What's your overall acreage? Uh, we're just one acre, 1.05 acres, something like that. Oh in Montana, God. in order to get a tax break, you have to be just over two acres uh, because they're going to subtract oh. one acre for a homestead. And so, you know, we're we're oh. never unless we get that law changed, we're never going to be a we're never going to get a break tax wise. Oh right, and most uh, the way the state is farm is quote unquote. Are probably in the hundreds of acres. It's commercial farming. Yeah, the the uh, larger farms, the wheat, the lentils, the uh, uh, barley and hay and all that. The larger farms, they all get a break uh, tax wise uh, because they are, and uh, the state uh, seems to just love them. The idea of, of growing flowers for profit hasn't really impacted the state uh, Department of Agriculture yet. And, of course, I'm doing what I can to change that, but it, it will be a while before that gets wow. changed. Wow. Well, I feel like, George, you were kind of out there doing this because you said you had the, the, the cut flower operation 13, 14 years. You really were a pioneer uh, growing in what is pretty tough climate. Are you zone four? Um, yeah, we're zone four, and, uh, you know, maybe it's getting a little bit warmer, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, zone four is is what we are. There there are flowers that are that grow in zone seven that uh, they're very popular. Uh, calla lilies, um, a couple others, but they're very popular flowers. They just can't grow here. They can't. Uh, you have to keep them warmer during the winter, and uh, so that's what the heated greenhouses has been good for. I just want to go back to your comment about being able to grow crops year-round in the geothermal heated greenhouse. If I came to you or out to your property or out to your place, because you basically are open to the public, right? I think just yeah. I mean, we'll we'll sell flowers to anybody who wants them. Sure. <laughs> and you live there too, so it's got to be a constant kind of uh, alert. <laughs> you know, you're always on alert for the customer walking in, right? Well, um, usually we see the customer out you know, getting the vehicle parked, but that isn't always the case. I mean, I've 
come out the back door and seen customers walking around in the back and, uh, you know, just looking at our flowers and I offer to help them and go down and chat with them. And sometimes they buy flowers, sometimes they're just looking around. Um, but it's, (laughs) that's Montana. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that, that whole idea of uh, people come in and maybe visit and maybe look at the beauty and then also purchase and, and also purchase flowers, hopefully, right? Sure. Yeah. So if I came in like November or December, what would I be able to buy from um, production? By December, there well, there's a status Perezzi uh, that that grows pretty constantly and flowers pretty constantly. Uh, we've got some, uh, California mix, Kabura daisies. Uh, we've got eucalyptus trees. Uh, we've got, uh, oregano. We've got sage, um, rosemary. Um, as flowers go, we've got yarrow, but in December, it's, it's really not much there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess ranunculus is, is the biggest thing that we have in December. Um, oh my God. We've got, uh, I mean, the zinnias are finished up by October, and so then we plant uh, ranunculus, and so by December, ranunculus is showing up. Oh, I guess the florists are gobbling that up. Uh, yeah, they they like uh, ranunculus uh, when it's not in uh, season in California. Uh, they're they're very happy, but uh, it has been our experience that when California ranunculus are available. Uh, they can beat us on price, and so it doesn't do us much good to try to sell to that market. I mean, there's there are other places that like ranunculus, but uh, um, last year especially we were hard hit by uh, white flies, so it didn't uh, it wasn't much of a crop. But uh, basically, we've got uh, you know there's always going to be some color in there. I mean, we can mm-hmm. we can almost always pull a bouquet out. We we also deliver CSA bouquets. Uh, we've done that from, uh, sometimes from February, but often from March until November. Um, we don't have lights in our greenhouse yet. So that, uh, in, in Missoula, we're in a valley. And so we have weather inversions that basically hold clouds and low clouds, really. They hold them in our valley for weeks at a time. And so without lights, uh, things just don't grow very well. Uh, they're very, very slow growing. So we don't, uh, we don't generally have flowers available between November and March, but you know, we're probably a year away from getting lights that will, uh, you know, support growth in those seasons. Wow. That's cool. So, uh, I'm excited to be able to come out and see you and, uh, it turns out that you're somehow involved with the Montana Florist Association, which is a trade group for, I would say, established florists, probably mostly retail florists. Is that correct? Yeah, they're they're florists that, generally speaking, they're florists that have uh, brick and mortar uh, shops, and uh, you know they have an identified clientele and a identified uh, method of doing business. And we just happened to sell flowers to uh, a number of them. And one of them, the Bitterit uh, Floral Shop, uh, the owner is Lindsay Irwin. And she is also the president of uh, this year for the Montana Floral Association. So this was pretty much her idea to uh, uh, have the florist come out and see what a flower farm looks like. Uh, in September, unfortunately, because they always look better in August. But oh, this is the it. end of it's September. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> it's going to look fabulous in, in September. Yeah, um, it'll it'll look okay. <laughs> well, and and you're going to host like a a, a barbecue or a, a dinner sometime. Yeah, that that's the plan. Uh, the Montana Florist Association is going to uh, uh, bring some uh, food trucks here and. Uh, the people who are there for the Florist Association are going to be given tickets. And uh, I think that everybody who uh, uh, comes, who is a grower of flowers, is going to contribute 10 bucks and we'll uh, all have something to eat. And uh, then we'll be very pleased to listen to you. Uh, earlier in the day, 
we're going to be listening to some folks from, like from the Montana Department of Agriculture and some other places. Uh, awesome. just, well, maybe we can move their attitude a little bit, huh? <laughs> no, it's hopeful. Uh, I mean, they, they're some of them are willing to, to listen, but uh, most of them are from um, what I would describe as large egg operations. And yeah. so they're just, they're not going to uh, change what they think you know, brings the most money to Montana. And they're probably right. But, um, you know, there's a significant amount of, uh, of money that goes out of state and even out of country uh, by florists who are buying from uh, Columbia and Uruguay and California and Florida and Texas they can, they can and those places. In the state otherwise, right? It would be nice. And that's what I keep telling them. And uh, <laughs> I've got a meeting arranged for coming up next Thursday with the uh, Montana, I think it's Department of Commerce, because they're going to talk about how to uh, how they can help small farmers, and uh, I'm going to talk about how small farmers can help them. Awesome. Well, we've been talking about this gathering. It's Friday, September 27th at Cart Starting and Nursery in just outside of Missoula, Montana. And George is opening up this event to anyone in the Slow Flowers community flower farmers, and floral designers. You don't have to attend the Montana State uh, Florist Convention. I, mean, I guess it's called the Montana Florist Association State Convention right. uh, to be part of this evening gathering and, um, or late afternoon, early evening gathering. So I will, um, and thank you for that, George. I think it'll really be a great showing if we get folks in the Florist community to attend and kind of cross-pollinate with maybe more mainstream conventional uh, consumers of flowers and just sort of have a dialogue and boy, all they have to do is see a real flower farm and I think that the inspiration will start, you know, changing their attitudes and their, their ideas of, of what yeah. they're Excuse me, but I think the uh, Montana Floral Association is is more inclined to uh, shop local uh, than they probably ever have been. Um, I know that we sell a lot of flowers to the Bitterate but uh, more than that, they're thinking about uh, making a web page where uh, flower farmers in Montana can, for a year, uh, offer their flowers on their website. And uh, if, if it works out, then those people would probably be inclined to uh, pay the small fee to join the Montana Floral Association. And I guess if it doesn't work out, then those flower farmers will have figured out that they need to... Uh, keep looking for a way to market their flowers, but uh, we're going to have flower farmers from all across the state, I'm thinking, and, um, you know, to be able to talk with the people who actually could be buying their flowers, uh, it's a pretty special opportunity, I think. Oh, I'm so glad that you included me. It's going to be wonderful, and um, I think I can maybe bring words of encouragement about what's happening in other regions and in other states to, you know, underscore how important this is. Excellent. These sort of two worlds, the florist world and the, and the farming world, are coming together. Um, it's, it's exciting. So we'll, we'll probably um, be posting photos and maybe we'll do a live streaming while we're there. All these kind of fun ways to connect other people with what's happening uh, in, in, at your farm and in your community. Very good. Very good. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, George. And um, we'll, uh, as I said, I just put the information out about this in the July Flowers newsletter, but not everybody can listen to this podcast to receive that. So uh, the details will be in the show notes at devilsthinking.com for today's episode. And um, it's just a simple phone call or email to George and he'll make sure that you get the information to, to join us at that event. I can't wait to return to the beautiful farm. It'll be so, uh, it's a perfect time of year to come to Montana. But we look forward to hearing from you. The things that you say about flowers are... Uh kind of universal and uh, obviously a, a great support to uh, local growers. Thanks so much, George. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
Thank you for taking the time to pop in the earbuds and join the Slow Flowers podcast today. Thank you to the entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor spotlight today goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit Longfield Gardens at longfield-gardens.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 492,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.